Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, we take a closer look at the He Gets Us media campaign. We'll also share with you some highlights from a couple of Ministry Watch investigations. One of them was a close look at Glory of Zion, a Dallas-based ministry, and we also take a deep dive into a Colorado Springs ministry called Love for the Least. We begin today with news from Knoxville, Tennessee. In an unusual move, a judge said an alleged rape victim is going to have to use his legal name in his lawsuit against the Catholic Diocese there. Yeah, the Catholic Diocese of Knoxville won a legal push to force the alleged rape victim to use his legal name instead of a pseudonym, which often happens in these kinds of cases, that would protect his identity uh, before he could continue in his lawsuit against the church. Last year, a former diocesan musician and employee filed the lawsuit against the Catholic Diocese of Nashville and its bishop, Richard Stika, for six counts of negligence, infliction of emotional distress, and defamation involving an incident with a seminarian. Now, Doe, John Doe was the pseudonym that he used, alleges that the seminarian raped him. And as I said, he filed that complaint under a name that would protect his identity. Doe's attorney said the pseudonym was necessary because the case involved sexual abuse. They said that forcing Doe to name himself would harm his recovery from the trauma of the alleged assault. In addition, Doe would face reasonable fear of embarrassment, stigma, humiliation, and economic harm if he revealed his identity. However, the diocese's lawyers argued that Doe had not given an acceptable reason to continue under a pseudonym and said that this case was already public. Now, according to case text research, which is a legal research tool, some courts are reluctant to allow a plaintiff to proceed using only a pseudonym based solely on the allegations of sexual harassment. For a plaintiff to proceed anonymously, court Courts often require additional grounds, such as reasonable fear of reputational damage or the risk of psychological harm if the litigant's true identity is revealed. In his ruling, Judge E. Jerome Melson agreed with the diocese, saying Doe was an adult when the alleged rape happened. He also cited that he called the presumptively open and public nature of the judicial proceedings in Tennessee. According to Knox News, which is a publication in Knoxville, Tennessee, the ruling shocked sex abuse advocates. Several advocates called the maneuver and intention to intimidate Doe and scare off anyone contemplating reporting a sexual assault in the future, claiming that the diocese was trying to intimidate and re-victimize the victim, Mitchell Garabadian, uh, who is world-renowned as a clergy sex abuse attorney. If you've ever seen the movie Spotlight, you probably know that name. Uh, He assisted in breaking open, in fact, the church Catholic sex abuse scandal in Boston in the early 2000s. He said that the diocese was acting in a heartless manner, and these are uh, his words, that indicates a complete lack of understanding of the evils of clergy sex abuse and damages caused by clergy sex abuse. And he called the decision rare and mean-spirited. 
Yeah, but the ruling hasn't deterred John Doe. His attorney said that he will be refiling the case using his real name soon. Our next story is one that will likely impact thousands of Christian ministries. Nearly a decade ago, Amazon created its Smile program as a way for its customers to support their favorite charities. Now it has decided to shutter the program. According to an email sent to participating charities, Amazon claimed that its philanthropic efforts were spread too thin to have a meaningful impact. Amazon Smile launched in 2013 and contributed 0.5% of every qualifying purchase made by participating customers to the charity of their choosing. Donations totaled $449 million to various charities as of 2022. The amount of money going to individual charities, though, was not huge, and the Christian ministries who responded to Ministry Watch's inquiry said that they were not dependent upon Amazon Smile funding. However, what was good about the Amazon Smile revenue was that it was a passive revenue stream. It did not require much effort to generate. Lifeline, a group that helps local churches launch ministry initiatives, had been participating in Amazon Smile and received about $2,000 a year from it, according to Ben Sims, the president and CEO of the organization. Lifeline promoted the program here and there, but it didn't actively market it and doesn't expect the closure to leave a large revenue hole. Lifeline is considering other grant opportunities from Amazon. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry that also participated in the Amazon Smile program, but only took in about $500 a year, according to CEO Diane Ferraro. Still, she believes those participating in Amazon Smile received other benefits aside from revenue generation. She told Ministry Watch, it offered us an opportunity to share our mission with an audience that may not have been familiar with it. Ferraro also expressed skepticism about the reasons for Amazon's decision to close the SMILE program. Ferraro said this, I can't help but think, though, that their bold pro-abortion stance, which includes reimbursing employees up to $4,000 to travel for abortions, uh, maybe made a senior-level executive realize that they were also supporting pro-life ministries, and they included the 2,700 pregnancy care centers around the country. According to Amazon spokesperson Patrick Malone, its decision to end the SMILE program was not a criticism of the nonprofits it supported. In statements to the Chronicle of Philanthropy, he said that it is part of a strategic shift to support initiatives that work on a larger scale, like its $2 billion contribution to build affordable housing. Our next story is one we've been following for a while. It's the story of the evangelistic media campaign called He Gets Us. For the past 10 months, the He Gets Us campaign have had billboards around the country, YouTube channels, television uh, ads, most recently during the NFL playoffs all around the country, spreading the message that Jesus understands the human condition. The campaign is a project of the Servant Foundation, an Overland Park, Kansas nonprofit that does business as The Signatory, but the donors backing the campaign have until recently remained anonymous. 
In early 2022, organizers said that funding had been coming from like-minded families who desire to see the Jesus of the Bible represented in today's culture with the same relevance and impact he had 2,000 years ago. But in November, David Green, the billionaire co-founder of Hobby Lobby, told talk show host Glenn Beck that his family was helping fund the ads. Green, who was on the program to discuss his new book on leadership, told Glenn Beck that his family and other families would be helping fund an effort to spread the word about Jesus. Jason Vanderground, the president of Haven, a branding firm based in Grand Haven, Michigan, that is working on the He Gets Us campaign, confirmed that the Greens are one of the major funders among a variety of donors and families who have gotten behind it. Organizers say that they've signed up about 20,000 churches so far to provide volunteers to follow up with anyone who sees the ads and wants to have more information. Those churches are not, however, funding the campaign. The Super Bowl ads alone will cost about $20 million, according to organizers who originally described He Gets Us as a $100 million effort. But Vanderground said that the goal is ultimately to invest a billion dollars over the next three years. He called the current effort, the $100 million effort, just the first phase. But this campaign is not without its critics. No, it's not. Some viewers, including some evangelical Christians, are skeptical. Author and activist Jennifer Greenberg supports the idea of trying to reach those outside the faith and wants people to understand that Jesus gets them. But she thinks the message of the He Gets Us campaign might have the unintended consequence of giving people just enough Jesus to inoculate them from the real Jesus. Yes, she said, Jesus can relate to you. But what did Jesus come primarily to do? He came to die for our sins. Connecting emotionally with Jesus is great, she added, but an emotional feel-good Jesus is part of the problem with evangelicalism today. Michael Cooper, an author and missiologist, agrees. Yeah, he is a fan of the ad, saying that they communicate the human side of Jesus, but he also says that there is a fine line between a partial representation of something or someone and a false representation. Cooper and a colleague offer what he called a constructive critique of the campaign in an upcoming article of the Journal of the Evangelical Missiological Society. That article calls for clearer messaging about the divine nature of Jesus. Well, Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, we'll look at a ministry that is a money-raising machine, but it's not clear where the money is going. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. 
Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, next up, the story we promised before the break, it's the story of a ministry called Love for the Least, which is raising millions of dollars, but it's not clear where the money is going. When leaders claim Love for the Least is a movement and not an organization, well, they're exactly right. That's certainly what we found. They said, we have no overhead office, or staff, even though they raise about $3.7 million a year. Now, one of the things it also lacks, according to our research, is financial oversight. Love for the Least was founded in 2003 by Jerry and Stacy Kramer, who got their start as missionaries to Tanzania. Jerry Kramer is ordained with the Anglican Church of North America, and he has worked with YWAM and says Love for the Least is part of the YWAM family. The ministry uses an organization called Omni for its accounting services. Omni is a Colorado Springs nonprofit founded to provide accounting services for a variety of independent YWAM, that's Youth with a Mission, groups. Jerry Kramer said in an email to Ministry Watch that Love for the Least has Omni oversight, YWAM oversight, and ecclesiastical oversight and board oversight. We want to be the gold standard. He went on to say, we don't know anyone in the field who is more oversighted. Uh, He also said that uh, L4L has long sought to be actually accountable and not just ticking boxes and saying that we have an audit. But in an interview, Les Hall, the man who runs Omni, again, that's the group that does the accounting services for uh, L4L, says that it performs no oversight functions for the ministry, but merely transfers funds. Hall, who studied basic accounting in high school, has spent 45 years doing bookkeeping for churches and YWAM groups. The lack of transparency hasn't hurt revenue. Jerry is a fundraising machine, says Hall, particularly with Anglican churches where he identifies himself as Father Jerry Kramer. Donors who know Jerry Kramer and trust him to operate ethically seem to have no problem with L4L's management and financial structure, But donors who want to know how a ministry spends what it receives may have to wait until the projected 2024 audit arrives, which won't be until 2025. Our next story involves another Ministry Watch investigation. This one is about a Texas ministry called Glory of Zion. Glory of Zion International Ministries is an apostolic ministry led by Chuck Pierce. Uh, It's seen significant growth over the past few years, and not only in revenue, but also in the salaries it pays to its executives. According to financial information obtained by Ministry Watch, Glory of Zion had revenue of nearly $23 million in 2021, up from $11.3 million in 2017, the lion's share of which came from contributions. 
That's more than 100% revenue growth in just a five-year period. When we saw that in the Ministry Watch 1000 database, and when we also saw some of the salaries that showed up in our annual salary survey, that caused us to pay attention. Uh, so we asked our reporter, Kim Roberts, to reach out to uh, Glory of Zion several times uh, to learn of its plans for those cash assets, which now are in the many millions of dollars. Uh, but she received no response. What we have learned, though, is that Chuck Pierce, the president of Glory of Zion International Ministries, is one of the highest paid Christian ministry executives in the country. His salary from all affiliated ministries in which he's involved totals about $1.7 million a year. He makes more than the presidents of World Vision and Compassion International combined. Did anything else stick out when Kim started digging? Royalties and bonuses are paid to the ministers of Glory of Zion based on their DVD and CD sales. Now, that's not considered a best practice in Christian ministry. In fact, when we do donor confidence scores, we ask that very question, and we would rate uh, lower a ministry that did pay bonuses based on sales of products. Also, three of the eight voting members of Glory of Zion are Pierce family members. I should also add that Ministry Watch gives Glory of Zion International Ministries a donor confidence score of 53, meaning that donors should exercise caution if they're thinking about giving to that ministry. It also has a transparency grade of D, our second lowest grade, because it's not a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability and does not provide audited financial statements of its records. Our next story is one that church and ministry leaders should pay particular attention to. Hispanic Protestant churches are growing here in the United States, and many of these congregations are both relatively new and and identify as evangelical. They largely include people that are new to this country as well. That according to a recently released survey. The study was conducted by evangelical research firm LifeWay. One of the key findings of the study is that in the average Hispanic Protestant church, 35% of the congregation is under the age of 30, the survey found. Yeah, that's a key finding. Another one is that most of the pastors, 79%, not just most, but an overwhelming majority, identified as evangelical. 16% said they were mainline. The survey also found that the average worship attendance at, a, at an Hispanic church is about 115. Prior to the pandemic, in January of 2020, the average attendance was 136. Now, that may not sound big to uh, you, Natasha, or to our listeners, but other surveys and other studies have suggested that the average size of a church in the United States is about 90. So that's actually quite a bit larger on average than most churches in the U.S. Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. 
Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? The majority of the country's largest Christian ministries saw their revenue increase over the last 12 months, according to the results of a quarterly survey conducted by Ministry Watch. We conducted this latest quarterly survey in January. 61% of ministry respondents said that their organization's revenue had increased. Uh, about 17% said that it had remained flat, and 19% said that they experienced a decline in revenue in the previous 12 months. So if 61% said revenue had increased, how did that compare to the last time we did the survey? We did the last survey in October of last year, October 2022, and at that time, 72% of ministries responded that their revenue had increased in the past 12 months. So what that means is we're seeing a significant slowdown in the growth of ministries. We see the same trend in another story about giving. Foundations and donor-advised funds are also seeing a slowdown in the amount of money going into them and an increase in the amount of money going out. During the 2021 stock market surge, donor-advised funds grew dramatically, about 47% during that one year alone. They also saw growth in the amount of money that they pay out. That growth was about 27%. But you can see there is a little bit of disconnect, of much more money coming in than going out. Donor-advised funds' charitable assets therefore grew about 40% to $234 billion. But fast forward a year and other metrics paint a, a little bit darker picture or maybe a reversion to the mean as foundation assets fell a record $1.3 trillion in a single year, 2021, uh, and to about $1.05 last December. Well, who did we have in the ministry spotlight this week? Buckner International is a Texas-based ministry ministering to families, needy children, elderly. They've been in business since 1879, and they've been a tax-exempt organization since 1937, so a really long time. It's one of those big ministries that most people outside of the state of Texas have probably never heard of. The ministry began in Dallas in a post-Civil War Texas when its founder, who was called Father Buckner, even though he was not Catholic, began helping orphans. Today, the ministry uh, has assisted living facilities, nursing, therapy, child development, and other facilities, and it took in $47 million last year. Ministry Watch gives it a donor confidence score of 67, which means give with confidence. Who did Christina Darnell spotlight in Ministries Making a Difference? 
Southern Baptist disaster relief teams from Georgia, Kentucky, and Alabama have been active in the last couple of weeks responding to damage wreaked by deadly tornadoes that swept through those states during a highly unusual January tornado outbreak. Teams came equipped with chainsaws to help clean the debris. Another ministry that we're tracking, Spoken Worldwide, has partnered with the Church of the Nazarene to provide orality-based theology courses, that means audio courses, for church leaders in areas like West Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. So far, 17,000 church leaders have gone through these courses. And I also want to mention the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which has partnered with Convoy of Hope to ship a million dollars in sports equipment to coaches and athletes in Ukraine. Do you have any final thoughts? Just a couple of quick items I want to highlight. Uh, Number one, every month we publish our top 10 stories uh, of the month. We've posted those stories uh, again this week, top 10 stories for the month of January, of course. And near the top of the list is the salary survey that I mentioned just a few moments ago. So I would invite you to check that out. And now, since it is February, we have the February list up as well. We have the 50 largest relief and development ministries Uh, in the country, Christian Relief and Development Ministries, with, of course, uh, World Vision, Samaritan's Purse, uh, and um, uh, Compassion ranking near the top of those lists as well. We also, because we've now been doing these lists for a while, we have not only this year's ranking, but also how they did last year. So check it out. And we've had a number of new additions to the list. Anything else? Well, I want our listeners to know that if they give to Ministry Watch during the month of February, we'll send them a copy of a new book. It's called Handling Allegations in a Ministry. It's written by Teresa Lynn Sidebotham. This is a valuable resource for pastors, elders, deacons, ministry leaders, and active and involved church members and even ministry donors who want to make sure that they're giving to organizations that are behaving ethically. It's our thank you gift for a donation of any size to Ministry Watch this month. Just go to the Ministry Watch website and hit the donate button at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Jessica Eldorade, Kim Roberts, Shannon Cuthrell, Bob Smetania, Steve Raby, Alejandro Molina, Christina Darnell, and Rod Pitzer. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. <laughs>